Hello, everybody. I'm Warren Smith coming to you from Charlotte, North Carolina. And I am Christina Darnell in for Natasha Smith. And I am also coming to you from Charlotte, North Carolina. And we'd like to welcome you to the Ministry Watch podcast. On today's program, a Christian college group called Chi Alpha, which is associated with the Assemblies of God and operates on 60 campuses around the country, is under scrutiny because some of its leaders sexually abused students. We'll have important details. And a Christian adoption agency in New York has won important religious liberty protections that will allow it to continue to place children only in families with one man one-woman marriages. We begin today with a strange story from right here in North Carolina. You know, Southern Baptists have been dogged by leadership scandals for years, but now they have a different kind of abuse scandal on their hands, and it involves dogs. A Baptist leader in North Carolina resigned this week after he and his wife were charged earlier in May with three counts of felony animal cruelty and a misdemeanor offense of communicating threats. Jim Goldston and his wife Agnes were accused of poisoning their neighbor's three dogs. Two of the dogs, Labrador Retrievers, died. A veterinarian confirmed that all three dogs were poisoned, according to the Wake County Sheriff's Department. Now, Goldston had been the chairman of the Board of Trustees for the Baptist Children's Homes of North Carolina, which is a well-known faith-based nonprofit. But it's strange to say he was also a board member of an animal rescue organization. Yeah, the ironies abound here in this one. Uh, The Goldstons were also accused of threatening their neighbor. A handwritten letter tossed into their neighbor's yard read, Your daughter is next. Be careful. Uh, That according to arrest warrants obtained by the Raleigh News and Observer newspaper. Goldston had served on and off the board of the Baptist Children's Home in North Carolina since 1990, more than 30 years, a spokesman for the Baptist State Convention said. He also said that he resigned as chair on May 21st. And then in a statement, Goldston did say that he and his wife had been falsely accused. The Children's Home, uh, which is affiliated, as we've already said, with the Baptist State Convention of North Carolina, operates group homes for children as well as foster and adoption ministries. Well, moving on, a pastor in Miami, Florida, was sentenced last week to 48 months in federal prison for attempting to gain over a million dollars in Paycheck Protection Program funds for what ended up being non-existent businesses, and he tried to get that through the Coronavirus Aid, Relief, and Economic Security Act, which is known as the CARES Act. Uh, Eli Floridan, who described himself as the lead pastor for New Bethel Baptist Church, applied for PPP funds for a fake employment agency, which he claimed paid nearly a million dollars in wages to dozens of employees. He secured $200,000 in PPP loans for the agency, but was denied an additional $600,000, which he sought in other applications. After pleading guilty to fraud related to the fake employment agency, the government investigators discovered another fake business by which Floridan obtained $336,000 in PPP loans. But the nature of these other fraudulent businesses was not provided uh, by the Department of Justice. 
right? But the Justice Department in a press release did say that Florida was ordered to pay restitution to the United States more than a half million dollars in money that he had obtained through that fraud. The original CARES Act law was passed and implemented so quickly that fraud uh, was almost inevitable, experts say. In fact, Samuel Kruger, who's an assistant professor of finance at the University of Texas at Austin, estimated that about $64 billion of the nearly $800 billion in loans have some indications of fraud. They might be uh, suspiciously high payrolls or the listing of multiple businesses to the same home address. Well, and Ministry Watch has reported on multiple other PPP fraud schemes that have inured to the benefit of churches and pastors and other ministries. One of the strangest involves Aslan International Ministries in Orlando, Florida. They fraudulently obtained PPP loans, and the leaders of that so-called ministry were caught when a routine traffic stop resulted in the discovery of incriminating documents. Well, let's look at one more story before our first break, and it's the story of a former campus minister for the Christian group Chi Alpha at Baylor University in Texas, and this minister was arrested on charges of continuous sexual abuse of a young child. And then he was released after posting a $50,000 bond. Police said that a Christopher Hudnell, he's 38 years old, he lives in Waco, Texas, is accused of encouraging two boys under the age of 15 to perform sex acts in a sauna. These acts were witnessed by himself and another man, and that other man is a registered sex offender. Uh, the activity allegedly happened uh, at the Houston home of the sex offender. Uh, Hunnell told officials that the sex offender had been a, and I'm using quotes here, a spiritual mentor to him since Hudnell was in college. One of those boys who was 11 at the time said that he was told not to tell anyone about the alleged abuse. Yeah, now Hunnell had led the Chi Omega chapter at Baylor University since 2019, but he recently resigned, according to a Baylor spokeswoman. Uh, Chi Alpha World Fellowship is a network of Christian ministry sponsored by the Assemblies of God. Uh, it has a presence on more than 300 college campuses. The group is headquartered in Springfield, Missouri. But this is not the first episode of sexual abuse involving Chi Alpha Ministries. In early May, a Dallas area law firm sent a letter to several major university systems on behalf of alleged sexual abuse victims to take steps to limit the activities of Chi Alpha Ministries on their campuses. And that firm alleges that convicted sex offender Daniel Savala used his ties with the group to gain contact with and then take advantage of students. Now, Savala had already pleaded guilty back in 2012 in Ketchikan, Alaska, to one charge of third-degree sexual abuse of a minor and was sentenced to two years in prison, though all but 90 days of the sentence was suspended. Since then, Savala has allegedly had ties with five different Chi Alpha chapters, and the law firm said that students weren't told that he was a registered sex offender. Warren, we need to take a break. When we return, a Christian adoption agency in New York wins important religious liberty protections. I'm Christina Darnell, along with my co-host Warren Smith. 
And we will have that story and much more after this short break. Hello, everyone. I'm Brittany with Save the Storks. Save the Storks is a pro-life ministry passionate about inspiring the world to reimagine the pro-life movement by serving and valuing every life. Save the Storks partners with pregnancy centers all across the U.S. to own and operate a stork bus to offer free ultrasounds and pregnancy tests to women in unplanned pregnancies. Stork buses park near college campuses, abortion clinics, shopping centers, and serve rural communities that lack medical care. Save the Storks is pleased to be the sponsor of the Ministry Watch podcast. For more information about our life-saving organization and how we partner with pregnancy resource centers around the country, go to savethestorks.com. That's savethestorks.com. Welcome back. I am Christina Darnell, along with my co-host, Warren Smith, and you're listening to the Ministry Watch podcast. Next up, the story we promised before the break. It's the story of Syracuse-based Christian adoption agency, New Hope Family Services. And it has entered into a favorable settlement agreement with the state of New York and may continue offering adoption services to children and families. New Hopes had sued New York in federal court uh, back in September of 2021 after the state's Division of Human Rights threatened to investigate and penalize the agency because it only places infants with couples consisting of a married mother and a father. New Hope was represented by attorneys from Alliance Defending Freedom, ADF, which is a public interest legal group that we report on often here at Ministry Watch. Uh, They are focused, in fact, on parental rights and religious religious freedom. In 2022, New Hope won a similar case on summary judgment against the state when the New York State Office of Children and Family Services had threatened it. According to ADF, New York agreed to pay $25,000 in attorney's fees in the present New Hope case. In April, the state agreed to pay $250,000 in the previous case and, I'm quoting here, ensured that New York's Office of Children and Family Services would no longer target New Hope for its religious policies. Well, our next story is the latest in a series that we have done on congregations that are exiting the United Methodist Church denomination. That's right. Another large contingent of church congregations is exiting the UMC, United Methodist Church denomination. This time, they're in Iowa. About 11% of the state's Methodist congregations, that's about 83 churches, are leaving the Iowa Annual Conference. And many of those congregations have said that they do plan to move to the Global Methodist Church, which is the more theologically conservative denomination, which was actually established in May of last year. Ongoing debates and conflict within the UMC over sexuality and marriage are among the factors driving the creation of that new denomination, the Global Methodist Church. And at this point, uh, close to 4,000 churches have voted to leave the UMC. That's about 10% of the total uh, United Methodist congregations, most of them in 2022 and 2023. But thousands more are expected to leave before an end-of-the-year deadline 
deadline. And though the number of congregations might sound relatively small, only about 10%, as I said, the churches leaving often represent the largest and most dynamic in their respective conferences. In Florida, for example, about 15% of the churches have left, but they represent more than a quarter of all members of the United Methodist Church in that conference. Warren, let's look at one more story before we take another break. And this one comes from the Salvation Army. The Salvation Army's 2022 Red Kettle fundraising campaign, which I'm sure a lot of our listeners are familiar with, it's kind of the Christmas campaign, uh, declined for the third year in a row this past holiday season. Uh, Though it did bring in uh, more than $102 million, that was about a 19% decline from the pre-pandemic high of $126 million that they reached in 2019. Donations during the Salvation Army's signature fundraising drive have fallen in 2020, 2021, and 2022, uh, following the high watermark that I just mentioned of $126 million in 2019, the last pre-pandemic year. And why do you think there's been a decline? Well, the pandemic undoubtedly played a big role. People simply weren't out as much during the Christmas seasons in 20 and 21 as they had been before or since. But it's also a fact that fewer people are carrying cash around these days. The Red Kettle campaign started in an era when people would pay for their purchases by cash and then drop the change in the kettles on their way out of the store. And that era is now mostly over. Now, the Salvation Army does have what it calls smart kettles that can take virtual credit card and phone tap transactions, but they're kind of off to a slow start with these smart kettles. Contributions to them represented less than a fraction of 1% of all Red Kettle donations last year. Still, it's pretty amazing that the Red Kettle campaign has been as long-lasting and resilient as it has been. Well, you're absolutely right about that. $100 million, uh, even though it's down from the high of 2019, is nothing to scoff at. And uh, you're quite right as well that it's been around a long time. The Red Kettle campaign began in 1891, more than 130 years ago. It's hard to find any fundraising campaign that has been so effective for so long. We're going to take another break when we return our lightning round of ministry news of the week. I'm Christina Darnell with my co-host Warren Smith. More in a moment. Hello, everyone. I'm Brittany with Save the Storks. Save the Storks is a pro-life ministry passionate about inspiring the world to reimagine the pro-life movement by serving and valuing every life. Save the Storks partners with pregnancy centers all across the U.S. to own and operate a stork bus to offer free ultrasounds and pregnancy tests to women in unplanned pregnancies. Stork buses park near college campuses, abortion clinics, shopping centers, and serve rural communities that lack medical care. Save the Storks is pleased to be the sponsor of the Ministry Watch podcast. For more information about our life-saving organization and how we partner with pregnancy resource centers around the country, go to savethestorks.com. That's savethestorks.com.
Welcome back. I am Christina Darnell with my co-host Warren Smith, and you're listening to the Ministry Watch podcast. Warren, we like to use this last segment as a sort of lightning round of shorter news briefs. So what do you have for us first? Well, it's a new month, so we have a few new lists on the Ministry Watch website. First up, Christina, is a monthly list that you prepare. It's the list of the top 10 stories of the previous month. We won't cover the entire list, but since you prepared it, Christina, why don't you give us a bit of a summary? Sure. Well, we had stories about the United Methodist Church, as you might expect. I'm pretty sure they make the list every month. And we also had stories about the deaths of Tim Keller and Harry Reeder, um, both of whom were prominent Presbyterian pastors. Also at the top of the news in May were Rick Warren and Saddleback Church, as well as Bishop T.D. Jakes and his billion-dollar real estate project. But none of those stories were at the top of the list. That's right. The top story for the month was an update on former Hillsong New York City pastor, Carl Lentz, and interest in Hillsong remains high, um, in part because of the television documentaries, which I have watched, and in part because its leaders keep doing questionable things. In fact, we had two stories about Hillsong that made our top 10 this month. We published another list on Thursday, the 1st of June. It's our annual list of the largest Christian advocacy organizations in the country. Topping this year's list is the International Fellowship of Christians and Jews, which is not a Christian group at all, but it has a major presence on Christian television and radio and gets most of its $200 million-plus budget from evangelical Christians. Other organizations in the top 10, include Alliance Defending Freedom, which we've already mentioned on this uh, podcast today, and the American Family Association, as well as the Family Research Council. Well, Rod Pitzer writes a ministry spotlight for us each week, and in the spotlight this week is Family Radio. So tell us why we choose this ministry. Well, here at Ministry Watch, we often write about ministries that you know, well, you know, mess up. Uh, very few ministries start out trying to cheat, defraud, or abuse people, but without proper guardrails and protections, even good ministries can go bad. And as I said, that's mostly what we write about. But it's unusual to write about a ministry that ends up recovering or that comes back from the brink. Yeah, and that's really why we wanted to focus on family radio, because that's what happened there. Some of our listeners may remember Harold Camping, who is the founder of Family Radio. He was making bizarre predictions about the return of Jesus back in the 1990s and the early 2000s. Which obviously those predictions did not come to pass. No, they didn't, but they did nearly kill off the ministry. Then, however, a strange thing happened. Harold Camping died. Now, that part's not so strange. He was, after all, in his 90s when he passed away. But after he died, the organization recommitted itself to biblical orthodoxy. Uh, The organization is not perfect. It's not a member of the Evangelical Council for Financial Accountability, so we can't give it an A transparency grade. It also has a huge stockpile of cash as a result of selling some of its radio stations, and we here at Ministry Watch tend not to like it when an organization is sitting on big piles of cash. 
And I should add that Jesus didn't like it much either. One of his parables, in fact, was about the rich man who built a larger warehouse to store his stuff. Jesus called that man a fool. So we give only a one-star financial efficiency rating uh, to Family uh, Radio, uh, one out of five. That's our lowest financial uh, efficiency rating. But the organization has made many positive changes since Harold Camping died, and we wanted to highlight that this week. Well, any final thoughts before we go? Yeah, I was in Orlando last week for the annual meeting of the National Religious Broadcasters, and I discovered to my dismay that NRB has a number of organizations as members or exhibitors that do not represent the highest and best of Christian broadcasting and a number of organizations that are not Christian at all. Uh, I wrote an editorial about that experience, and it's called Some Friendly Advice for the NRB, including adopting some uh theological standards and some financial standards like making uh, exhibitors and members be members of the Evangelical Financial Evangelical Council for Financial Accountability. If you want to read more of my thoughts on this topic, you can go to our website, ministrywatch.com, and the story's right on the front page. I also want to mention that while I was in Orlando, I had a great time seeing Ministry Watch readers and supporters there, including uh, uh, nearly a dozen who came out for lunch. I'll be doing similar lunches in in Colorado Springs, Albuquerque, New Mexico, and Los Angeles during the month of June, in part to celebrate the 25th anniversary of Ministry Watch. So please keep an eye on your inbox for invitations to those events if you live in one of those cities. The producers for today's program are Rich Rosel and Jeff McIntosh. We get database and other technical support from Stephen Dubarry, Emily Kern, Rod Pitzer, and Casey Seta. Writers who contributed to today's program include Eric Obernauer, Ann Stike, Kim Roberts, Yonat Shimron, and Rod Pitzer. A special thanks to the nonprofit Times for contributing material for this week's podcast. You've been listening to the Ministry Watch podcast. Until next time, may God bless you.